Well, this morning I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some more of the words of Jesus. And uh, as I shared before, you know, a lot of, well, there's so many great passages of Scripture that we can reference. And um, I just wanted to take a window of time, however long that might be, over the course of a period of weeks, uh, to just look at some of the things that Jesus said. And, uh, you know, I was uh, provoked a little bit to do this some weeks back uh, because, I, as I shared, I heard someone, uh, a politician, representing uh, what Jesus says. And it really was a very bad representation, I felt, of, of what Jesus has spoken to. And I felt really in my spirit that it would be important for the, for the church to know, what did Jesus say? What does Jesus say? You know, and for those who think that the Apostle Paul's writings were somewhat uh, second level or second tier, that's not true because it, it wasn't Paul speaking. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, right? And so it's the Word of God from uh, the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, to the New Testament, Revelation. The Holy Spirit authored those writings and those words. In Matthew 19, and today I want to talk a little bit uh, more about uh, the miracle of marriage. And uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read uh, that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, uh, let not man separate. Father, we thank you for this precious word. We thank you, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit that, Lord, uh, just emanates out of that word. And I pray, Father, that our ears and our hearts would, Lord, be uh, thus joined in that anointing to receive what it is that God purpose is to speak to each and every one of our hearts. And Father, we give you the praise and the glory for the effectual working of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, this morning as we talk about uh, this gift and miracle of marriage, uh, you know, I want to call the church to celebrate a marriage. I want you to uh, know that this is an hour when the world needs to know that we celebrate marriages. And uh, part of the education of our children and grandchildren will come uh, from what they see in our homes, what they experience in their interactions with moms and dads and grandparents and all of those who are around. So, you know, it, it, you and I have a very great opportunity and a great responsibility, whether we be parents or grandparents, Uh, to speak truth and love into the lives of our children uh, because we're the primary educators of our children. You know, how many believe that? That you as the family, it's your responsibility and mine, our great privilege to educate our children in matters of faith. Uh, Because, you know, if we don't, uh, it'll be a very difficult road for them Uh, with that void being present there in their lives. And so it's important for that void to be filled with the substance of God's truth and with his love. And so we're going to look at a few sections of this scripture. And uh, the Bible says he made them, and I'm going to focus on that for a moment. Uh, At the beginning, I want to think about what that implies. 
uh, he made them male and female, and I want to speak to that as well. Uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. I'd like to take a little uh, moment with that as well. And then uh, also think about two other uh, phrases. The two shall become one flesh, and uh, therefore what God has joined together, let not man uh, separate. You know, uh, specifically and as a whole, you know, Jesus, they had approached Jesus about uh, the issue of divorcement. And, uh, you know, they were always trying to ensnare him in his words. They wanted to get him locked into some kind of debate with them that they felt like they were superior. But we know that wasn't true, right? The Jesus always has the authoritative word, and he, 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 he's not a rebel. So let's get that out of our head. Jesus is not a rebel because he has nothing to rebel against. He's the truth, right? He's the standard. You understand that. He's not a rebel. We are not rebels either. We are walking in alignment with the truth, right? Are you a rebel? We're not a rebel. We're not rebelling against anyone or anything. We're walking in alignment with Christ. And uh, Jesus is not a renegade. Uh, he's not someone who's uh, fighting. Uh, you know, he's gone rogue and he's going to take the fight to somebody. Uh, Jesus um, has already won the conflict uh, with the sin nature and with darkness. But we understand that he is the standard. You know, uh, when... We think about the, the words that Jesus spoke with reference to uh, families. He wants families to, to be solid in their union. He wants solid relationships. In fact, uh, his response to those who were quizzing him was that, you know, the, the frequent divorcements that were, had been issued at that time. Is there a bird in here? Is that, I hear a bird. Is there a bird? What, is that somebody's phone, I would assume? Uh, <laughs> That threw me a little bit. I was thinking, uh, you ever see the movie The Birds? Anybody? You know, I was just thinking about that for a moment. But um, anyhow, you know, when we look at the, uh, the, he's speaking to them about the frequent and frivolous divorcements that were being offered among the people of Israel. You know, they were just divorcing for any and all reasons. And, and you know, Jesus cited the fact that there are criteria uh, for divorcement, scriptural criteria, as he speaks. And so there were frivolous divorcements being made, reckless divorcements being made just to fulfill uh, personal desires and wants. And, you know, husbands were putting their wives away in divorcement because they, uh, you know, they just for not righteous reasons, but before their own uh, evil uh, hearts, uh, you know, was the reason that they were doing it. In other words, Jesus was saying that they, they were just divorcing and uh, for the sake of divorcement to fulfill a desire rather than having scriptural grounds for, for divorcement. But as we think about that, the Lord really speaks to the importance of that marital union. He speaks to the importance of that marital union specifically and individual couples' lives. But as a whole, he speaks to, as a guardian of that covenant of marriage. And, you know, and he says what God has joined together. And marriage is that union that is different than most other, well, it's different than all other relationships in the fact that the two become one. There's no other relationship that's defined that way. We can be one in spirit and one in opinions and one in causes, but there is a spiritual miracle that takes place 
a, a man a, a, among men and women when they get married. There is something dynamic that happens that is unique to the covenant of marriage. And uh, so when adultery, uh, adultery is one of those things that Jesus cites as, 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 as a cause for divorcement, and I'm not sure that Jesus said that it meant automatic divorcement, but certainly it was a, a cause of uh, marital uh, breakups. And so Jesus is speaking to the, the issue of, of being committed to that marriage, being committed to that union, uh, any sexual contact or conduct outside the institution of marriage or the gifting of marriage is defilement of any kind, whether it be uh, heterosexual, homosexual, premarital, extramarital, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever form, shape it takes outside of marriage. You know, the scriptures identify that as adultery. You know, you have fornication, you have adultery. Uh, when you think about it, Jesus even said, if a man looks after a woman to lust after her in his heart, uh, you know, he's primarily already guilty of uh, adultery uh, in that sense. And so the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians 6.18, run from sexual sin. No other sin is so, clear, uh, so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So, you know, there, there are consequences, right, to, the, to breaking that marital covenant. And the scriptures make it clear that uh, while sin is sin, this has a pervasive and invasive effect in a person's life. And there are consequences that sometimes go far beyond any of the other type of uh, in, um, transgressions that one can fall into. God forgives, though. And God's a God of grace, and he, he, he wants to renew and restore. Uh, he's not a junk collector, right? He is a God who restores and renews, and he, he forgives. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the church today, and there should be a lot of people who can say, I, I'm not what I was, but by the grace of God, I'm a child of God today. Amen? I mean, everybody who's born again should be able to say that. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, when you talk about this type of situation, there are people who have committed sexual sin, who have broken covenantal relationships, have, uh, you know, uh, done all types of things, and yet God says you're, you're not that person anymore. You've been washed in the blood of Christ. You've been justified. You are sanctified. And, 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 and the reason that Paul talks about this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, we have to understand that there were those who had come into the church who continued to do these things. And they were influencing people to believe that when they did these things, they, were, they really didn't have any consequence, and it really didn't affect their relationship with God or with others in faith. And he said, just know that those who continue to do these such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he said. And so he warns them that not to be led into the belief that this grace is a, is, a, is a license for living a sloppy life. How many know that the grace of God is not a license to live a sloppy life? It, it's it's life-changing. But anyhow, I'm not addressing this subject or the subjects that I'm going to look at over the next few weeks from a political point of view because I believe that's lowering the bar. I believe we're here to hear from God's Word. 
right? People say to me, how am I supposed to vote when an election comes? And the first thing I will say, and pretty much the only thing I'm going to say, is you vote your, 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 your scriptural convictions. You live by your convictions. Be a citizen who lives by a, a set of morals and convictions that are established in, in the word of God. So I'm not, I'm not speaking about this as a politicized topic because to me that's, that's not even where uh, I believe this needs to go. I'm speaking from a scriptural perspective, and if there are those who take a differing view on scriptures and do not uh, view the scriptures as a credible resource for this type of subject matter, then probably I'm not speaking to them today or to you. You know, if you believe the scriptures are the, uh, the foundation for faith and conduct, I'm speaking to you. And if you don't buy that, maybe my prayer is the Holy Spirit will bring you around to that. Amen? The Holy Spirit will bring you around to that. Because how many of you truly believe the Scriptures are the foundation of faith and conduct? How many of you live as though the Scriptures are your foundation for faith and conduct? So it's an inseparable thing. People say, well, churches and pastors should never broach any of these uh, dicey situations because they're not good for business. Well, who are we, who are we, you know, what, what do we mean by that? You know, uh, you know when, when Jesus spoke in John chapter 6, he preached a word that was very difficult for the people to receive. And at that moment, many of them left him and said, I can't, you know, I've got to get out of here. And they walked away and forsook him and didn't follow him any longer. And then he even looks at his, his select followers and he says to them, will you leave as well? Because, you know, sometimes... Uh, we have to understand we're not preaching and we don't bring the Word of God forward to... Uh, it's not a popularity contest, right? It's a word of truth that has to be spoken. And, and as we speak it, it doesn't mean that we come with just the truth absent the grace because if we preach truth without grace, you're just bludgeoning people over the head without any hope. You know, people who you know, say, well, I just tell it to wait. When I hear people say that most of the time, they're, they're hitting someone over the head with something. You know, the, the world according to me. You know, it's not that. So I'm talking this morning and going to visit some things that are, are, need to be spoken into our, our families. And again, you as parents and grandparents and people in the body of Christ, we, we have to pour into our children, and this week will be a great opportunity to impact them. When you go to a doctor, you're going to a doctor to get a medical, uh, for a medical or procedural uh, 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 diagnosis and treatment. You know, the, the, you know, when you think about that, uh, you go to a doctor for that purpose. When you go to a mechanic, most likely he will, re- he will not receive, a, you will not receive a medical examination. And you won't receive a diagnosis concerning your health uh, concerns, but hopefully your car will. When one goes to an ear, nose, and throat doctor, uh, he or she will not be given an evaluation and advice concerning his or her stock investments. When one calls a landscaper, he or she will not receive a tonsillectomy. When one goes to hear the word of God, 
that's what he should expect to hear. Uh, you know, Paul said, preach the word. He didn't say, preach your opinions, preach your ideas, preach what they're preaching down the road because it's working for them. Preach what God gives you to speak. Preach the word. And so as we look in Acts chapter 4, verse 17, uh, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak any, to anyone in Jesus' name again. See, this is not a new thing, right? Somehow we, we look at the church today and think that we are, we are for the first time in history you know, getting kicked in the teeth by a world that doesn't appreciate the message that we are bringing And in fact, if we are truly bringing the word of God forward, the world will not necessarily appreciate it. But there will be those who get saved. The Bible says that the message of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. You know, so there, you have to preach the word. And when you bring the word forward, there are going to be those who get saved whose lives are radically changed, and then there will be those who reject it as foolishness and folly. You know, there are a lot of people who probably think uh, that we are foolish for wasting our time coming to church today. You know, there are a lot of people. I mean, I go home to, I leave in the morning, I come home and, you know, and I'm not, I'm just, it's an observation. Most of the cars are not moving out of the driveway. There's very little action. How about you? How many of you have noticed that? There's a lot, of, a lot, there's just, there's not, doesn't seem to be a lot happening movement-wise on a Sunday morning. And so, you know, we're, I'm speaking to you because, you know, I can't preach to the whole world today, but I can speak to you because you can impact the people in your community and in your neighborhood with the truth that God gives you. And it's important that we give people the word of God and not bad information that just infects people and, and leads them to a, a, a foolish uh, understanding. Here's the Bible. It says, so they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than man, than him? We cannot stop telling uh, about everything we have seen and heard. When a, when a pastor teaches about marriage, you know, his, uh, his, his or her authority comes from Scripture. You know, it's not simply something they have gleaned from somewhere else. And that's always good to glean what God provides, the crumbs, the breadcrumbs that the bird finds. And I want to be the bird that picks up any breadcrumb that's healthy and good left for me. But, you know, we're not here today to preach a hybrid gospel. You know, a little bit of the world and a little bit of the gospel. And, you know, we shape it into a nice uh, concoction that is suitable for us. It has to be from the Word. You know, it says, first of all, He made them. Uh, He created them in His image. How many know that you're not created after another kind, but you are created in the image of God? Of all the things that God created... The other things were created after their kind, you know? And in fact, when God created the other things, he simply said, let there be. 
Let it, you know, and so he spoke these things by command, but when he purposed to create man, he created him uniquely in his image, unlike anything or anyone, uh, any other living creature, we were created in the image of God, not after another kind. You know, animals were created after their kind, right? Insects were created after their kind. But, the, but man was created and really represents the, the glorious moment of God's creation when he created someone in his own image. Aren't you glad that God gave you a spirit and God gave you the capacity for immortality in him? Even though when we fell, the image of God in us was shattered and broken, Christ came and he restored that image. And God gives us the capacity for relationship and communication and worship. And these are all attributes that God has. So you were created in the image of God. You didn't, you're not the product of what uh, climbed out of a primordial soup. Come on, church. You didn't come from something that kind of emerged out of the swamps. Amen? You're created uniquely in the image of God. And so, you know, we talk about the, the sanctity and the joy of life. I think about that, and I think about it is a joy, and it is sacred. Life is sacred because God is the author and the giver of life. Life is not an accident. Children are not an accident. How many of you know on your child's worst day, they're still not an accident? God deliberately and joyfully owns the design. And I want to say that. He owns the design. There are people who apply for a trademark or they apply for, what do you call that? Uh, I got a, you know, or you safeguard, whatever it is. Uh, you, you safeguard it uh, because it's something you've created. God deliberately and joyfully owns the design and creatorship of human beings who came from the dust of the earth And God formed and shaped man, breathing into him and making him a living soul created in his image. God receives so much credit for the way we are in this world and the conduct that we display. We blame God for it. He made me this way. No, God made you in the likeness of his design. Amen? God had one design in the beginning, and you know, you can say, I celebrate, I celebrate the union. I've been blessed over the years to share in, in, in marriages where we have joined men and women who were men and women of faith who came together and were yoked together with Christ, and that has always been a joy because it represents God's design. When in the beginning, when God created male and female, he created both of them and they're distinct. How many of you, as we mentioned last week, realize there are distinctions and differences between men and women? (laughs) If you're married, you better say yes, especially if you're a man. God said, let us make man... In our image, and you know, the word create is really used sparingly in this chapter. It's only uh, used in verse 1 and 21, but now when he comes to human beings, the word appears three times in one verse. So man was created uniquely, and man was created in the image of God. 
And he brought man a person. He made that man. He looked at him and said, it's not good for man to be alone. How many of you know we men get in trouble when we're alone? I'm just kidding. We know better. But he said, it's not good for men to be alone. And he created man a helper, a a partner in life. And he created that woman distinct and different from the man. And there were giftings that were given to the man. There was a design for the man. And for people who will tell you the only difference between men and women is, you know, one chromosome. I'm going to tell you, you need to research that a little bit more. Because there are vast, unique differences between men and women. And it's by design. God purposed it that way. How many know God purposed for men and women to come together in union and to populate the earth? I see the Crawfords are here, and they've contributed to populating the earth. And, and we have six grandsons that three kids are populating the earth. And, uh, you know, we're, we're doing our part. But you know something? That can only happen in accordance with God's design. Oh, there's medical ways you can do that when you have infertility and other things. But, but I'm talking about by God's design, it's through the union of a man and a woman that the world is formed. And populated. So if you've been telling your kids that they've gotten here by way of the stork, you need to straighten that out. Um, But you know, when we think about this, as man is made in the image of God and man is created, he's, he's the man, Adam represented the blueprint for all that would follow. Adam and Eve represent the blueprint for the human race. He says, at the beginning, he references the first humans as the first of all that would ever come after them in this kind, uh, in the image of God. The pattern provided in man's incarnation. He provides the example in all subsequent male and female relationships, a singular br- blueprint for all marital relationships. He did not allude to any others in Scripture. Now, if you, you can find one where you, I invite you to find it. If you can find one, then you find it, and you bring it here, and we'll, we'll let you stand up here and, and share what that one alternate form of marriage and union are, because there, you won't find it. How many know in the Scriptures, and I'm talking to the church today, we're not, out, this is to the church, right? Because when you go into the world, it's not that you take things out and you become uh, militant and uh, viciously assault people, right? With you got to love people, and if you can't, we can't love people, then we should just be silent. And sometimes silence is even a better option anyhow and just to love people and to be kind because we're not prosecuting the world because they're not living in alignment with the Scripture because, you know, honestly, we have to watch our own steps, right? Take heed lest you fall, right? Be careful. So when we look at man's existence prior uh, to and following that first breath, he was uh, the result of a unique creative act of God. If one wishes to push an alternative version of man's origin, it is difficult to assign any credibility of the Scriptures to that person. If that person's, I simply can't believe, uh, divine creation, then, you know, it's hard to have a, a, a real common core, just common thread of discussion there. And, and the Holy Spirit can bring that discussion forward as it needs to. But the, in reasoning, there's no, we believe there's one way you got here, Right? Amen? You didn't come from apes. 
I mean, have you ever gotten up and seen your husband on his worst morning and maybe questioned that? Just kidding. You know, men, we go to bed and we get up and we, we look pretty much the way we did when we went. And maybe that's not so good, but, you know, a woman gets up and it's all got to be done over again. And I say that because that's the way they, a lot of, um, well, not all, but a lot feel. Now, I'm going to finish here in just a moment, but listen, um, I, I think I shared this. I don't know if I did. You know, I went to visit someone years ago and knocked on the door many years ago, and uh, a young couple had come to the church, and I just was in the neighborhood, stopped by, knocked on the door, and no, I knew, I thought someone was home, the, at least the vehicles were there, and I knocked on the door, and no one answered, and so I started to walk away and saw these two eyes looking out around the curtain. You know, and uh, you know, and you know. Then the wife, it, she came to the door, and uh, I got to tell you, I would not have recognized her at all. I mean, I, I wouldn't have. You know, honestly, I mean, she came, she had hair all over her head, she always made up and everything, and and I'm thinking, I went to the wrong house. I don't even know why I shared that. I was just saying that women do do have a little more of a challenge in the morning because they invest so much into it. But uh, we men, we don't care. You get up with halitosis, hair standing all over, it doesn't matter. You can go to work that way. If one wishes to push an alternative version uh, of man's origin, it's difficult to assign any credibility to the Scriptures if you look at it. from So you can understand why the world would look at it and say, ah, that's foolishness. But church, we have to know that this is the truth in our hearts because if we know it in our heads and it's not bringing transformation to our hearts and foundation for the way we live, then we become like the world and there's no difference. And then we start thinking like the world. And when I say the world, I'm talking about the world system apart from Christ. We start thinking that way. We start saying, well, I don't see the difference. I don't really, it, it disturbs me when I hear people say, I don't really see a difference. How many of you know when you're brought out of the darkness into the light, you are going to see a difference when you look back at the darkness? It's not subtle. It's not a subtle thing. All things begin to pass away and all things become new. How many know it's not a subtlety? You know, when we look, he made the male and female complementary pieces. Uh, here's some humorous differences between husbands. And I didn't make this up, but I got it somewhere. <sighs> Names. You know, this is just some of the differences. Uh, uh, if Laurie, Linda, Elizabeth, and Barbara go out for lunch, they will call each other Laura, Linda, Elizabeth, and Barbara. If uh, John Lippy and, and uh, Oren and uh, Jim Stuller go out for breakfast. They refer to each other as fat boy, Godzilla, and peanut head. Okay? I'm not going to tell you who's who. I'm just going to say that's the way they do it. Eating out, when the bill arrives, Mark, or let, let me just go back again and say, uh, Jim, Oren, and John, when they go out, each of them will throw a 20 yeah, uh, as um, even though the bill was as a tip, even though the bill was only thirty two fifty, none of them will have anything smaller, and none will actually admit they want change back. 
when the women gets their bill, out comes their pocket, uh, for women, out comes their pocket calculators. How many women here have a, use a, pop-it, uh, pop-it, uh, a pocket calculator for the tip? Yeah, it's on your phone. You can find it. I mean, it's pretty, my wife can help you. Uh, uh, money. A man will pay $2 for a $1 item he needs. A woman will pay $1 for a $2 item that she doesn't need because it's on sale. I mean, in my case, I break that. I like the stale thing, so I can't. Uh, Bathrooms. A man has five items in the bathroom. He has a a toothbrush, shaving cream, a razor, a bar of soap, and a towel from the Marriott. The average number of items in the, in the typical woman's bathroom is 337. A man would not even be able to identify most of them, okay? So don't tell me men and women are the same. They're not, okay? Arguments. A woman has the last word in any argument, and anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument, The future, a woman worries about the future until she gets a husband. A man never worries about the future until he gets a wife. Success, a successful man is the one who makes more money than his wife can spend. A successful woman is one who can find such a man. Okay? I didn't write, I just thought they were funny. I'm sorry, you know. Marriage, A, a woman marries a man expecting he will change but he doesn't. A man, cherries, uh, cherry, a man marries a woman expecting that she won't change, and she does. I'm not even sure what that meant, but I included it. I didn't want to give, take it away in case maybe you saw something in that. You did? Good. Dressing up. A woman will dress up to go shopping, water the plants, empty the garbage, answer the phone, read a book, and get the mail. A man will dress up for weddings and funerals. Natural. Men wake up as good-looking as they went to bed. And I think there's some, ir- uh, some sarcasm here. Men wake up as good-looking as they w- were when they went to bed. Women show uh, uh, deterioration after a long night. <laughs> uh, I think that's great. But anyhow, uh, yeah. Offspring. Uh, uh, children. Uh, children. It says Children. Uh, a woman knows all about her children. She knows about dentist appointments, romances, best friends, favorite foods, secret fears, and hopes and dreams. A man is vaguely aware of some sort of short people living in the house. Some sort. Thought of the day, uh, any married woman should forget his mistakes. Any married, I'm sorry, any married man should forget his mistakes there's no use in two people remembering the same thing. Okay, I just thought those were, you know, take them for what they were. It might be the only thing you get out of the service. I hope not. For, then I'm going to close out here. For this reason, for a man shall leave his father and mother. The man leaves from under the roof of his parents, the place where he was possibly conceived, born, and raised, uh, he, li- he leaves from the cover of his father's household to establish his own. He provides spiritual headship for his wife and family in the context of scriptural marriage. 
You know, Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what we as men need to be doing. I'm going to ask Tammy if she would come uh, and whoever's joining. Uh, what does it mean to be the spiritual head of a family? Uh, if, this is the, if this primarily is a man's responsibility or not. You know, while the scriptures uh, affirm the equality of men and women, and spiritually speaking, when we, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be focused on the same things that we see here. But in, the, in this day-to-day living, it tells us that God has assigned the responsibility of spiritual leadership in the home to husbands. Now, the scripture says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as fitting in the Lord. Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh uh, with them. You know, it's important to remember here that a difference in roles does not mean unequal. God doesn't consider wives inferior, uh, inadequate, less important, or less responsible than husbands. Beside, only uh, an unwise man uh, would reject his wife's opinions and assistance. And and this uh, goes on to say, generally, a husband and wife who have a healthy relationship Uh, make decisions as equals, looking to Christ as the ultimate head of the home. But uh, Ephesians 5.21 says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, so, you know, as we come down to these final, I'm trying to find a way to say I'm going to close. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And we've talked about that. You know, Satan's a divider. He's a divider. He wants to scatter. He wants to break and to scatter. He wants to destroy. And I think we're seeing that today in the world we live played out very visually. There's an assault upon the institutions of faith and family and the sanctity and sacredness of life. How many of you today say, God, we, we really need to be centered in you, aligned with you. Because Satan is going to try to destroy destroy the very foundations of what you have created. We're not anti, but we're all for God. And we're all for the kingdom of God advancing through the message of the gospel. And for people coming to Christ through repentance and faith. And yes, I said the word repentance and faith. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me this morning. And it says the two shall become one flesh. There's an intimacy and a, de- and, and a desire that God has for each marriage between a man and a woman that is indivisible, inseparable, mysterious, and miraculous. This is a miracle that requires the sanctioning hand of God in accordance with his design and will. In Christ, a man becomes a better husband and the woman becomes a better wife. I'm going to ask this morning with those who are here. You know, last week I I should have done this and I didn't, but I would like to just speak words of blessing over the the gift of marriage and children.
And if you'd like, you can, you can speak these blessings with me. If you, you prefer not to, uh, that's fine. But I, I would like for as many as who would, would just speak these affirmations and words of blessing on the institutions that God, and I don't like institutions, that sounds cold, but you know what I mean, the established foundations. So if you'd like to repeat after me and just speak it out as a, as a blessing corporately, that's fine, as an affirmation of truth. If you don't, I understand. We acknowledge and rejoice in marriage as God's design and his gift. Beginning with Adam and Eve, He has blessed us with this sacred union. We declare marriage to be a sacred gift, graciously given to a man and woman as husband and wife. And as we bless the union, of every married couple in this church, in our families, among our friends, and those within the community, we do so in Jesus' name. We affirm the marriage of believing men and women, knowing that it reflects the nature of Christ's relationship with his beloved church, those redeemed by his blood. In Christ's name and in his authority, we bless the gift of marriage in our world today. Marriage and family are pillars of society. And Christ is its singular foundation. As Christ invited children to himself to be blessed and that no obstruction be placed before them, we invite the children to learn of Christ and to experience his blessings upon their lives. We bless the children in Jesus' name. We value all children as God does. We honor the unborn and the born. As God foreknew those who had not yet been formed, we acknowledge the unborn as masterpieces of God to be presented to the world in due time. We bless the unborn in Jesus' name. No child is a mistake and our prayer is that all children will be introduced 
to their heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. We bless them in Christ that they may know that they are children of the King of glory in Jesus' name and that the Lord endows them with purpose and value. Lord, we thank you this morning as we pray over this congregation that we will be faithful stewards of this gospel. That, Lord, we will be faithful to the word of truth. Lord, that we will be loving to our neighbors, and our neighbors are everyone that we encounter. Lord, I pray that we will never be condescending, hateful, Lord, be deliberately hurtful to others, but Lord, that we shall be firmly secured upon the foundation of your word, unashamedly committed to the word of the living God, and yet deeply and irresistibly compassionate to those who are searching, to those who are searching for identity and purpose and relationship and fulfillment, Lord, that we might represent this gospel of grace and truth. Lord, help us as the church to know that we never need and should not, Lord, at great peril, divorce grace from truth. Because, Lord, you came as grace and truth. And, Lord, without grace, truth would destroy. And without truth, grace would simply be a license to continue to do and to live apart from God's Word. I pray our hearts will be tender, Lord God, toward all. Lord, that any self-righteousness, any lack of self-examination in my life, Lord God, in the life of your church, Lord, help us to see. Lord, we are only, we are only products of the grace of God, and we are given a glorious, glorious future in Christ. We're children of our Father by grace. So, Lord, we'll always understand that there's always room for others. And, Lord, the unlikeliest of all, Lord God, shall be brought into the fold of Christ to be loved upon, cared for, and nurtured. Let us be ambassadors of this glorious gospel of grace and truth. And let us stand strong in our alignment with the scriptures. Because, Lord, we need not move away from the scriptures to be compassionate. And we truly cannot be effective if we do. And, Father, we give you praise and glory. Hallelujah. Father, we pray for, uh, as we come to this place, Lord, we pray for uh, families that are considering, Lord, what to do with unborn children. Lord, there, there may be many reasons, Lord, and we're not here to discuss those today. But Lord, whatever the reasoning, Lord God, or the lack thereof at times, that someone would, uh, Lord, uh, consider destroying uh, the unborn, we pray, Father, that you would visit them with hope 
and truth. And Lord, let there be people who come alongside. Lord, we're not, we don't do anyone any good if we come here in this church today and hear the word. And, and Lord, uh, if we affirm it here and yet don't live it among those who need to know Jesus. Lord, we've wasted a lot of time. But Lord, let us love people where they're at, understanding that, Lord, maybe, just maybe, that we have been called for this day and this reason to be that someone who can be a light and hope in the lives of those who are struggling. Lord, we pray for those who, Lord God, have lived outside the design of your sexual design, Lord God. We just ask it in the name of Jesus, the Lord, there we won't treat people with tags or labels, but that we'll love people, Lord, without that, that we, Lord, will not treat people as though we are put in a position or given an honor of prosecuting them, because, Lord, but for the grace of God, none could lift the voice. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that for those who are really our kids who are, Lord, being inundated with confusing rhetoric, Lord God, and, and Lord, misleading things that are, Lord, are deeply damaging and hurtful, Lord God. We pray that you will help us to be strong to them. Lord, to be a strong source of love and, and truth and that we would nurture them in, in spiritual health and understanding who they are and why they're here. Pray for the young people, Lord, who don't know, Lord, the basic facts of who they are. They've been told there are many things, and Lord God, we pray in the name of Jesus that the church will come alongside our teens and our children and our young people and will speak life, love, walk with them. And Lord, when they fail or they make those decisions that run contrary to what we know God's desire for all of us would be, Lord, let us love them until our last breath. And with the prayer that, Lord God, that they would see Jesus in the love. Hallelujah. Tammy, would you uh, just play and dismiss us then with a, with a prayer? Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.